morning to the New Life class. Glad you guys are here. And uh, wow, we made it two Sundays in a row. That's a habit. So let's continue the habit. Good to see you, Xenia. Glad, glad you are here. Amen, man. Glad you are here. Excited. I hope you have uh, study notes. If you don't, they're right there. Randy can get you one. And uh, we're in Psalm 103. And we're looking at how everyone, everyone needs personal renewal in one of five ways. Whether it's fatigue, maybe you're tired, exhausted, frustration, things aren't going like you want. Failure, you have attempted something and failed. Fear, there's just fear and anxiety, a lot of that out there. And then just our own fallenness before God. And Psalm 103 gives us this roadmap for renewal that has three rest stops, uh, rest stops along the way. And last week, we looked at the first rest stop, which was basically verses 1 through 5, and it was this. How does renewal begin? How does it begin? It begins by remembering what the Lord has done and then blessing Him for it. In other words, count your many blessings and see what the Lord has done. Renewal begins with remembering and blessing. And we said that there were five blessings to never forget. Total forgiveness, inner healing, ultimate deliverance, gracious reward, and real satisfaction. And listen to this quote. Memory, memory stores all things, but recalls only that which is cherished, and that in which we are most interested. Thus he or she who reviews the past thankfully may advance into the future hopefully. Isn't that good? If you will review and count your blessings, review your past thankfully, you can enter into your future hopefully. And we talked about uh, how to the basics of learning to bless because it's one the thing to read in verses one and two of Psalm 103. It's one thing to read, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me." Bless His holy name. But you should ask the question, "How do I do that?" And really, verses one and two of this psalm is a basics on blessing. Blessing is an attitude. It's an attitude towards life. So it's not just words you sing. It's, it's the orientation of your heart. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, what is in within me. Then it's an act of the total person, all that is within me. And then it's to adore the one who is second to none. And we're going to talk about that today. Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. There's no other one that we should bless like we bless the Lord. There's no other one who is more worthy of our blessing, our gratitude, our lives. And then it's to actively count your blessings in Christ. Why? Because it says, forget not all your benefits. And the only way you're not going to forget them is if you count them. And so that's the basics of blessing. And so ultimately it requires a supernatural revelation. We don't know what we have in God until we read God's word. We need him to reveal it to us. It calls for a total response 
And it needs a personal relationship. Listen, you can't bless one you don't know. And God does not receive blessings from those he does not know. And then finally, habitual remembering. And so last week, we handed out the Count Your Blessings handout. And I hope you you took time to do that and begin your own renewal. If you didn't, the handout's there, and you can pick it up. And, and it's just really on the back. I just wrote a little bit about that great gospel song, Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Then it goes on and it says, Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Count your blessings. I'm sorry, are you burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings and every doubt will fly and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, and that's good, Do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. And we're going to see as we move through Psalm 103, the rest of it today, that that song, whether the author had this psalm in mind, it comes right out of it. So let's take a look today and stop for a minute at rest stop number two. How does renewal grow? It begins by remembering, it grows by reflecting on who the Lord is. So you begin by remembering what He has done, and that should move you to reflect on who He is. So let's look at it. Look at uh, Psalm 103, and let's read uh, verses um, 1 through 7. And uh, one through, yeah, one through seven. Let's notice what it says. My soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord. And do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed, now this is really key, He revealed His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. Now I want you to see there's a difference when we move from verses 1 through 5 to verses 6, 7 and following. When the focus is on what God has done, the verses begin with who or he, focusing on this is what God has done. But as we move into verses 6 and 7, we're going to focus on who God is, and the verses emphasize what he has done. So let's take a look at it. When you put verses 1 through 5, we see the goodness of God. 
When we move into verses 6 and following today, we're going to see the greatness of God. And listen, it's when you unite the greatness of who God is with the goodness of what God has done that he is most glorified and you are the most renewed. And it's easy to separate these, but they are united in this psalm. In other words, you may be experiencing fatigue and frustration and failure because you have separated who God is from what he's doing in your life. Or you're focusing and anticipating on what you want God to do and you're not reflecting on who he is, whether he does what you want or not. Look again at verse 7. God made known his ways to Moses, but only his acts to Israel. Listen to this. Moses spent time alone with God to seek his glory. What Moses wanted most from God was his presence. He did not simply want to get from God. He wanted to know him personally in all his glory. But according to this verse, Israel was content with seeing God's power and forgot that renewal comes from God's presence even when we don't see God powerfully at work in our lives. And listen, I'm telling you, much of our lives are lived without a visible awareness of God's working. So if you're going to focus on what have you done for me lately, you're going to be a frustrated Christian. But if you focus on who God is and the greatness of his glory, you can get through anything and you can get through times of silence, times of him seemingly being absent. You see, Moses, this this passage, as we move through it, is going to take us back to Exodus 34, where God shows the glory of his backside to Moses. And that revelation of his glory comes after Israel has already broken every commandment before they even got him. And that revelation comes before Moses pleads, hey, don't send us into the promised land without your holy presence dwelling. See, Moses is literally between a rock and a hard place. He's hidden in the cleft of a rock and he's saying, look, we need your forgiveness, but we also need your holy presence. See, Moses refused to go on without God's presence with him. And he passed on that passion to Joshua. When you read about Joshua, he's always with Moses. And it says Joshua never left the tent of meeting. Why? Because he wanted the presence of God and not just the power of God. Israel's attitude was, for 40 years through the wilderness, what have you done for me lately? They didn't want him. They wanted him to fix things. And too often, our frustration in our Christian life is because we just want God to fix things and we don't want to reflect on his glorious presence. Therefore, this next rest stop on the roadmap to renewal is to reflect on who God is and not just what he has done. So for the rest of the lesson, I want us to go through this and see six attributes of our God. Six attributes of our God, because that's what David is focusing on. Number one, the first attribute is this. The Lord is a righteous judge. 
The Lord is a righteous judge. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Now let's stop and ask ourselves a question here. Why do you think David begins with this attribute or character of God? Why does he begin this psalm of renewal with a righteous judge? Well, think about it. When do you need renewal the most? When do you need renewal the most? It's when you are or feel you're oppressed. When you feel you have been done wrong. When you indeed have been done wrong and people are plotting and scheming to do you wrong again. And you need deliverance. Well, here's the good news. As the righteous judge, he will always deliver his oppressed people. As the righteous judge, he will always deliver his repressed people. And I just want you to see three facts about this, three thoughts about this. First of all, the Lord doesn't tolerate injustice. That's good news. The Lord does not tolerate injustice. Listen to Psalm 33, 4 through 5. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing Love, his loyal kindness, his covenant loyalty. And of course, when I read that, I think, wow, that's great encouragement. And then I think about my world I live in, and you're like, where is this? Where is this righteousness? Where is this justice? Why, do I, why am I not seeing it? Well, in Second Peter chapter 3, we're told the reason we don't see it. The Lord's delay is not a denial that he will not bring justice. The delay is out of his long-suffering to see sinners and rebels made right with him. His delay is out of love. The Lord acts graciously to deliver the oppressed. Here's, Here's the thing. The delay is because he wants to show more grace to those that don't deserve it. Listen to, the, listen to Psalm 146, verse 7. Speaking of the Lord, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry, the Lord frees prisoners. Now think about those two words. He feeds and he frees. The Lord doesn't just free us from our sins. He wants to feed us with his goodness. The Lord doesn't just save us. He seeks to satisfy us. And that's just an amazing thing. He wants to deliver us so that he can, we can find our satisfaction in him. And then finally, the Lord delivers in a righteous manner. In a righteous manner. Let's, if you trace this word righteousness and righteous... You trace it in Scripture, you see there's two divine activities, and I have them listed there in your notes. The first is this, saving deliverance and just vindication. Saving deliverance and just vindication. So there's a tension between those. 
The tension is between God wants to righteously save those who are oppressed, but God will justly judge those who are evil. And the amazing thing is, he does both of those things on the cross, where justice and mercy come together and kiss. Listen to Isaiah 63, 4, where he says, For I planned a day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I planned a day of vengeance, just vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. The question is, which are you and I going to experience? Is it going to be a day of vengeance? Where in a split second, we are judged for our sins and the world is judged for their rebellion? Or are we going to experience a year, a much longer time, an eternity of redemption? So here's, here's my point on this. Don't waste your energy on proving that you are in the right. Don't waste time trying to get even or getting back or worrying about some, how some people get away with everything. This world is filled with seemingly people who can defy God and do harm to others and get off scot-free. God is a righteous judge who will do you right in the end. And get even with his enemies. The problem is, we sometimes mistake who we think is our enemy with being God's enemy. And if we're not careful, we become the enemies of God because we seek our own vengeance. But listen, be renewed. God is a righteous judge. So, here's my advice to you. Give it a rest. Give it a rest this morning. God is righteous. He will always deliver us from those who oppress us. Amen? He will always deliver us from those who oppress His covenant people. So, be renewed and reflect that God is a righteous judge. Secondly, here's the second attribute. The Lord is a merciful God. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. The Lord is a merciful God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. That is a quote coming right out of Exodus 34, where God shows the backside of his glory to Moses. Okay? This is who God is. Verse 9, he will not accuse us or be angry forever. Can I get an amen? And then, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Or repaid us according to our iniquities. Or we would all be little puffs of powder here, just totally torched by the Lord. We wouldn't be sitting here studying His Word. So, now, again, ask the question. Why do you think David followed righteous judge with merciful God? Why do you think he follows righteousness with mercy? And the answer is... Because God is both, and we need both. God is both righteous and merciful. We just read that. But we need both of those things. Why do we need mercy? Because often our difficult times 
are due to our own sinfulness. And God uses our distress to discipline us. Listen, when people do you wrong, they are wrong. And the righteous judge will take care of that. But when you respond wrong, then that's on you. That's on us. If I respond wrong, then that's on me. But there is good news. We worship a merciful God. Amen? We worship a merciful God. So here's the principle. As the merciful God, he is always slow to anger and quick to forgive. Slow to anger and quick to forgive. Now, as human beings, fallen, depraved people, what do we do with that? We flip it around. We are quick to anger. Or, I mean, we, we're, yeah, we're quick to anger and we're slow to forgive. And the problem is, we project that onto God and we think He's like us. And we make God in our image. But as a merciful God, He is always slow. He's got a slow fuse. He is long-suffering and quick, quick to forgive us. Man. So here's... Two things I want you to see. Don't despair when God's disciplining your life. He will not discipline us forever. He will not discipline us forever. And I can't, I can't emphasize enough that this quote of God's compassionate character comes after Israel already has broken every commandment before they received it. And it comes before Moses pleads, don't go with us unless you, I mean, don't send us forth unless you go with us. And he's just in this rock and a hard place because he has no ground to stand on. And yet, Hebrews 12 tells us that we have parents who have disciplined us as seemed best to them. But God, God disciplines us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. This really, you know, stinks, man. I'm, I'm getting spanked by the Lord. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He will not discipline us forever. Secondly, he never deals with us as we truly deserve. He never deals with us as we truly deserve. Listen to Isaiah 42.3. One of the blessings of being set up over there and, and having Chris and Audra and Gwen and record is we taught through, I taught through the servant songs during COVID, which was a good thing for me. And in Isaiah 42, this is a part of one of the servant songs of the suffering servant. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. That's the heart of our God. Do you feel like an, a, a candle that's about to go out? Well, God won't blow you out. Do you feel like you are broken and the world has tossed you aside? God doesn't toss away broken things. He mends them 
and he redeploys them. A bruised reed, he will not, he will not throw away. So here's my point under this. Don't wear yourself out thinking God is out to get you. Don't beat yourself up for your bad decisions or your sinful choices. Instead, repent and run quickly to him. Why? Because he's slow to anger and quick to forgive. There's a whole lot of Christians that are stuck in their past because they don't bring their past to this compassionate God. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You're right. I don't, but he does. And he's still slow to anger, quick to forgive. Yeah, but you don't know how many times I promised him that I would do this and I failed. You're right. I don't know, but he knows it. And guess what? You failed him more than you know. And he is still willing to restore you. So, it's listen, it's easy to get stuck and sink into a pit of despair and bitterness. A refusal to forgive and reconcile will eat your soul alive. So here's the advice. Give it a rest. Give it a rest this morning. God is merciful. He will always forgive us. Amen? He will forgive us. But there's so much more to reflect on regarding our God. Number three, the Lord is a forgiving father. The Lord is a forgiving father. We see this in verses 11, 14. So the Lord is a righteous judge. That's where it begins. He is holy and every wrong will be made right. But he is a merciful God. And that is good news because we have wronged him. But the Lord is a forgiving father. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Why? For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. You ever see air of dust? Just blow it away. Nothing stable, nothing strong. So here's the principle. As the forgiving father, he will always have compassion on us. He will always have compassion on us. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think these attributes. Listen, these aren't little, these aren't additions to who God is. He is all of these things at once. Okay. God is all of this at once. The righteous judge is also a merciful God. The merciful God is also a compassionate father to his covenant people. But God is not just merciful, but also compassionate. Now, why is that important? Well, as a righteous judge, he he could say to us, I grant you mercy. Now get out of here. Because you know what? I'm a righteous judge. You've been unrighteous. I show you mercy, but I don't want you in my presence. 
Well, this is the opposite. He not only shows mercy, he shows mercy and then some. Let's say that together. And then some. That's important. Because he not only forgives us, but he says, come on in here. I want to embrace you. Come on in here. I want to love you. I want to accept you. I want you in my royal throne room. Not simply as a forgiven sinner, but as a loving beloved son man that is huge god is merciful and then some let me give you this quote by puritan pastor matthew henry regarding this passage and listen to it the father pities his children that are weak in knowledge and teaches them he pities them when they are forward or rude and bears with them He pities them when they are sick and comforts them. He pities them when they are fallen and helps them to rise back up. He pities them when they are offended and upon their submission forgives them. He pities them when they're wronged and writes them. Thus the Lord pities those that fear him. Do you see that? Mercy and then some. Beautiful, beautiful. He doesn't, he, he doesn't leave us like he found us. And why does he do all this? Because he remembers that we, he, he remembers this, but here, here's what Henry says. See why he pities. He considers the frailty of our bodies, the folly of our souls, and how little we can do and how little we can bear because we are mere dust. Wow. Now, let me say at this point and interject, maybe you don't know who your father is. Maybe you didn't have a compassionate father. Maybe you had a critical one, a judgmental one, or even an abusive one. But that doesn't leave you without a heavenly father if you come to him through Jesus Christ. Study the fatherhood of God in Scripture to renew your mind of what a loving heavenly father. But let me help you with this a little bit. How can we measure the father's compassion toward us? David gives us the measurement. How can we measure the father's compassion toward us? Well, first of all, look at verse 11. The vertical measure, we see the vertical measure in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Now we're... You know, Bezos can send Amazon into space, and I'm so pumped that William Shatner is going to go up into space. Is that just the greatest thing? And someone said, don't wear a red shirt. And if you watch Star Trek, you know what with it. And that, Tim, uh, Jim, am I right on that? Am I right? Don't wear the, you know. Yeah, if you were in Star Trek right now, you, you wouldn't make it out of this classroom. You'd, you'd be gone. So he's going to go up in space. But listen, no one can reach to the throne room of God. As high as the heavens are above the earth. And really, God's holiness, the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness, we cannot bridge that gap. So great is his faithful love toward us who fear him. But the horizontal measure measure is in verse 12. The horizontal measure as far as the east is from the west. That's the horizontal measure. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. So here's the thing. If you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure God has forgiven me. I'm going to pursue my sins. 
okay, start heading west until you come to the east. What's going to happen? You're going to keep walking because you're all you're going to keep heading west. You'll never come to the east. It's immeasurable. That's the idea. And so how can we measure the father's compassion? You've got to look to the cross. You've got to look to the cross because when Jesus, when you ask Jesus, how much do you love me? He stretches out his hands and says this much. This much, because there at the cross is where justice and mercy kiss. There at the cross is where the righteous judge pours out his wrath on our sin. And there at the cross is where the merciful God pays the debt for your sin and mine. Amen? It's a glorious thing. You see, the point is, you can't measure God's love for us in Christ. That's the point. Can you make it all the way to the throne room? You can't. Can you hit the east by going west? You can't. So here's the point. Don't lose sleep over the lack of love in your life. Don't lose sleep over the lack of compassion you don't receive from others. Because this is a hard and hateful world. Lament it. Lament your lack of love. Don't deny it. God doesn't call us to deny it. Lament that I'm not getting the love and I'm not receiving the love that I think I so desperately need. But don't let it rob you of your joy. Listen, the root of a bitter soul bears poisonous fruit that always shifts blame. And it also results in floating bitterness to where even when you've separated yourself from the people you're bitter about and who have treated you poorly, you begin to become bitter to the new people you're around. Floating bitterness. The bitter heart has forgotten the fatherhood of God and his great compassion. So here's the advice. Give it a rest. Give it a rest this morning. God is a forgiving father. He always has compassion on us so that we can show that same compassion to others that don't deserve it. But it gets better. Fourth attribute. Here's the fourth attribute. The Lord is the ultimate promise keeper. The Lord is the ultimate promise keeper. Look at verses 15 through 18. David's building on the frailty in verse 14, that we're made of dust. Look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. Oh, look at the glory of man. And when the wind passes over it, we're talking about the desert wind, the searing heat. It vanishes and its place is no longer known. God bless my wife every spring. Or, yeah, every spring she begins planting these beautiful flowers and they look so wonderful. And then the searing Midwest heat comes in and uh, they, they, just, they crumple, don't they, Gwen? It's, it's, it's sad, isn't it? It crumples. Well, that's what the glory of man is like. Here today, gone tomorrow. Glorious and then forgotten. Notice, the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But look at the contrast with the glory of God. Verse 17. But from eternity to eternity. Now, eternity is forever. Eternity to eternity is even more forever. 
Okay, from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love, that covenant loyalty is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren. It is a legacy that you can leave to your children of those who keep his covenant and remember to observe his precepts. Now, here's what I want you to realize in this verse. And it's it's said so often you don't even notice. The covenant name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, is mentioned 11 times, 11 times in this passage. That's amazing in these short verses. And then one time it says, His holy name. His holy name. What does the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Lord, all caps, what does that mean? It's telling us that everything in this psalm of renewal is an explanation, an illustration, or a demonstration of who the Lord is and what he is like. Every the, the Lord, who is he? Who he is, his greatness, what he has done, his goodness, the glory of the Lord fills this passage. He is the eternal promise keeper. I am who I am. I will always be there. For you, I will show up in the nick of time. And what is the what is his time or the best time? The right time is his time and his time is always the best time. Why haven't you showed up? Because it's not the right time. Why haven't you acted on my behalf as my covenant God? Because it's not the best time. He will show up in his time which is the best time and the right time. So here's the principle. As the eternal promise keeper, he will never forsake us. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Trust me. Count on me. Rest in me. I will not forsake you. So here's the the point. Don't wear yourself out wondering if God's going to come through on his promises or whether his timing is perfect. Give it a rest. Give it a rest this morning. God is the ultimate promise keeper. He will never forsake us. Let's say that together. He will never forsake us. Man. And it just keeps getting better. Number five, the fifth attribute is this. The Lord is the sovereign king. How can he deliver on all this? How is it possible that we can trust him? Because he is sovereign and he is king. Look at verse 19. The Lord, the promise keeper, has established his throne in heaven. And we already saw... Where is that? As far as the earth. No one can reach his throne. No one can topple his throne. No coup attempt will make it to heaven. And when the devil tried to do it, he got tossed out of heaven. Okay? He got tossed out. And his kingdom rules over all. Now, what kingdom is talked about in verse 19? This is God's eternal kingdom, not his millennial kingdom, not his earthly kingdom mediated through Israel, through Christ. It's not that kingdom. It's the eternal kingdom that is unshakable. 
And so here's the principle. As the sovereign king who rules over all, he will always lead us. He will always lead us. Now, here's the secret to renewal. Okay? So if you're dozing off, wake yourself up, nudge your neighbor. Here it is. The secret to renewal and the number one reason we need it is we fail to acknowledge God is God in our lives. We fail to acknowledge that God... We, I didn't say let him be God and ruler, because he is. You know, we can somehow think, well, I'll let God rule my life today. No, 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 no. He already rules it. Do you acknowledge that he rules it and your circumstances? See, here's the deal. We forget to let God sit on the throne of our hearts as he does in heaven. And that's why we should pray every morning. Our Father, Father God, who is in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And whenever we sing this in church and whenever I pray that in my prayer, I always transfer it to let your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. That's how we need to start our day. So don't try, don't wear yourself out trying to control life and manage others. One of the great benefits of the conference yesterday for us men is we talked about fear and fearfulness. Fear comes from trying to control things, and men are great controllers, or so they think. And listen, you wear yourself out trying to control your life and manage others. So here's the good news. Regardless of how crooked and corrupt our society becomes... And I, I, am, I, I am really burdened and frustrated and not yet fearful, more just angry about what's happening in our country. But I have to transfer all that to a God who is above such corruption. I don't have to despair that our leaders, red, blue, purple, are corrupt. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to start taking things into my own power. I've got a God who's above corruption. And I've got a God who is sovereign, and his throne is not toppled by our weakness. So here's my advice to you. Give it a rest. Give it a rest this morning. God is the sovereign king. And he is always ruling over us, all that is around us, and all that happens to us. Amen? And that means the good and the bad and the ugly is all under his control. Okay? Job freaking you out, it's under God's control. Relationships broken and hurt, God is in control. Now, you want renewal to grow? Know the one true God. Here's the sixth attribute. The Lord is second to none. The Lord is second to none. Notice, second to none because his name is holy. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Holy means he's utterly separate and unique. 
Name reflects his character. God is like no other person you know. God, and what does this mean? This means this. God is not who you want him to be. God is not who you think he ought to be. God is not what others say he is. God is who he says he is and what he shows himself to be through the word of God and through the history of God's redemption of his people. And the ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So here's the principle. As the Holy One, who is second to none, Jesus will always renew us. Jesus will always renew us. Now, let's step back from this verse that we've looked at. And let's think. It's amazing to me how much David knew of God on the backside of the cross. How much he knew of God on the backside of the cross. We live, though, on the other side of the cross. And we know that Jesus of Nazareth is the righteous judge in whom all judgment has been given of the living and the dead. All judgment has been given in heaven, on the earth, and even under the earth. Jesus Christ is the merciful God who humbly set aside his glory to become fully man while remaining fully God to satisfy both the justice of God while still showing us mercy. And Jesus Christ is the forgiving son who is just like his heavenly father who shows compassion to all kinds of people to the clean and the unclean, to the Jew and the Gentile, to male and female, to the abused and to the abuser. God shows unbelievable compassion through Jesus. And Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the great I Am. When you see Jesus is Lord, that's the divine name, Yahweh. He is the ultimate promise keeper. And Jesus is the sovereign king who conquered the, cro- the curse on the cross and conquered death from the tomb. And Jesus Christ is second to none. Buddha doesn't compare. Muhammad doesn't compare. The Pope doesn't compare. Billy Graham doesn't compare. There's no leader, philosopher, person, good person, Saint Teresa. It doesn't, it, it, nobody compares to Jesus and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Yahweh and yet he is gentle and lowly he will not extinguish the flickering candle and he will not throw away the broken person man this is our God and if that doesn't renew you then let me introduce you to him today Because if you know him, this resonates. This renews. This draws us to repentance. And it makes us run towards him for renewal. And think about how these go together. The righteous judge is also a promise keeper. And the merciful God is also the sovereign king. And the one who is second to none and so holy 
that he is totally above and beyond any of us is a near and dear forgiving father and a son. This is where renewal is found. So look at verse 20 through 22, and we'll end on this climactic note of this psalm. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places where he rules. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord and be renewed. Amen. And notice the angels to all of creation and warfare is involved. The host of his armies. You will not find renewal without spiritual warfare. But Jesus is our warrior king. So I hope this helps you in Before we pray and ask God to seal this to our hearts, there's two handouts over here. They're from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. So if you want to go a little deeper and you want to study a little more, uh, reflect on who God is. There's some good stuff on that. And then reflect on what God does. It gives you some of the key terms to look for in your Bible reading. So if you want a little bit more on how to reflect, there you go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for revealing who you are. We be left to a distorted cartoon image, a Santa Claus, an aging grandfather, someone that really looks a whole lot like us, and what a mess that would be. But Lord, you've revealed yourself in these six attributes of who you are, and you've given it to us so that we would run to you in repentance with renewal, And Lord, so that we don't have to be frustrated. We don't have to be embittered. We don't have to be anything other than we are. And that's dust. But dust that has been made in the image of you. Dust that can be renewed in your image through your son, Jesus Christ. Renew hearts this morning, Lord. Do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be renewed this week. Reflect on who your God is.